Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast, interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people on the planet. For May, we are focusing on mental health and the importance of self-care. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Adonica Shaw, wellness app developer, author, founder of Surrender Circle, the Self-Care Saturday podcast, where she interviews leading wellness experts about self-care and creating balance in the mind, body, and soul, Ms. Shaw is the author of Depressed to to Daring, a mindset guide for women to defeat anxiety and depression and gain control over their life and career. Let's get into the interview. First, let me introduce our guest, Adonica Shaw, author, founder of Surrender Circle, and the Self-Care Saturday podcast, where she interviews leading wellness experts about self-care. Ms. Shaw's organization called Surrender Circle creates solutions for women to improve their mental health and wellness outcomes. In addition to being an author, founder, and podcaster, she is the creator of the Self-Care Everyday Bookstore, which is an online bookstore launched in 2020 during the pandemic, (laughs) specializing in providing books to help you with your mental health and self-care. Welcome, Adonica. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Excited to uh, chat with all of you guys today. Yes, thank you so much um, for uh, your time. Um, So before we get into the questions, one of the things that um, I wanted to know is why did you decide to take this uh, deep dive into mental health and self-care? Well, for me, honestly, uh, personal life experience, you know, um, through my work with Surrender Circle or honestly, even the ideation for the, the company came from me getting to this place in my life where what I was doing the way I was thinking about myself, my personal habits and the way I ate, um, what I was drinking, uh, the friends that I had in my orbit, my day-to-day life. It just was getting to the place of being unmanageable and quite frankly, not always making me feel my best or making me feel balanced and healthy. And so I got to this place where I needed to surrender. Um, And for me, I know that surrender has, you know, a bit of a religious uh, connotation, but in the sense of you get to the place where you've run out of trying to, you've run out of options that you would probably promote or try to do yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and you hand over this responsibility of trying to know it all, do it all by yourself to a greater community, to a greater force beyond yourself. And so sometimes that's you giving it to God. Other times it's creating and building a community of people who are like-minded. And so your problem is shared and there's other people that are interested and invested in um, helping you to thrive and survive. And so um, for me, again, like it really came out of this need to surrender. And once I was able to do that, then to be a guide and to help others through this process, um, by no means is it easy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a I'm a black woman. I'm a black woman millennial, single mother of uh, three, and so I know that there weren't a lot of guides that looked like me and had similar life experiences. And so I was like, well, even if I'm out here alone, I know I've I've learned enough and I've experienced enough and worked with enough people for the information to still be useful. And so that's where I really um, came to in my my journey, and that's why this was birthed during the pandemic and will continue on even beyond the pandemic. Fantastic. It's hard. You know, most people, um, uh, I guess they want to stay hidden about any of their like uh, mental health issues. Um, You know, it's, it's, uh, I guess people get embarrassed or, or, um, or sometimes scared because it's scary to admit that you have a problem. So that's, that's um, yeah. So I give you a pat on the back for being able to step forward. Yeah. You know, I think, What's interesting is, you know, mental health, I know it seems really buzzy right now because of the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. but it is still largely stigmatized. I think for me, the people that I looked to as positive examples are like people like Tony Robbins or um, not so much um, Abraham Hicks, but people that are motivational speakers that talk about where they started. You know, Mel Robbins, if you listen to um, a lot of her earlier work and her um, TED talk. I think it's on the five second rule. Um, They talk a lot about where they started in this deep depressive state and how they were able to transform their lives. And so even when I came forward, I thought to myself like, yes, this is largely stigmatized, but Mm -hmm. there are real life living examples of people who have bought themselves out of this. And if they didn't take the reins of what happened to them and share that information, they wouldn't be the Tony Robbins or the Mel Robbins, right? Um, They would still be people that are hiding that truth. And so by them walking in their light, I saw it as a way for me to think or to reframe what it would mean to come forward about this. Um, And through that, I think it just made it a lot easier to become very vocal and to bring other people uh, through this road with me. Fantastic. Um, uh, one of the things too, before I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, I think a lot of people are seeing that, um, we have a mental health crisis, but I don't know if people know the statistics. So I'm just going to go through a few statistics before we get to the first question. Um, so right now the, uh, about 24% of adults, um, with uh, mental illness are not able to, um, get, uh, treatment and it's uh, increasing increasing obviously because right now a lot of people are losing their um, health insurance mm-hmm. um, we have uh, an increase of uh, 19% of adults are experiencing uh, mental in- illness um, uh, and that was before COVID and now it's jumped um, uh, an exponential amount of percents um, we have uh, about um, 60% of our youth um, suffer from some type of uh, a depression. <laughs> that's, 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 that's crazy. <laughs> that, that, one, that one made me like almost cry. Um, and about one in three of those are going without uh, treatment. And then about 27% of those um, have a severe um, uh, depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think, uh, I guess, 
why do you think that we are having these these crises in mental health? It was happening before COVID. What do you think are the three main factors? Well, a couple of things. I think part of it is that some of this was already there. Um, I think it was there and it was underreported because of the stigma. And I think the pandemic almost pushed people to the point of them not having a choice but to report it for their own um, safety and, and sanity, I think. So that that's thing number one. Like, it's not to say that I think the numbers only jumped because of the pandemic. I do think, again, a lot of it was just really underreported. And now that people are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable and confident seeing their friends, neighbors, seeing all of the ads on social media from the various mental health platforms and apps that have really emerged in this last year, that people are more confident reaching out for help and they feel a little bit better about um, admitting that there's some information that they may need in order to feel better, to feel more balanced. And so I think that that's, that's one of those things. And in terms of the other factors um, that could be contributing to it, I want to be clear, like I think that there are many. Um, I don't know <laughs> that there's just three and I almost even shy away from just naming three, right? Because I don't want somebody to hear this and say, oh, well, I didn't hear mine. <laughs> so, oh, no, I was just saying if you have any of the three main main things that you've heard. <laughs> uh, I know there's I know. tons. Anybody could have a bunch of different Yeah, issues. but mm-hmm. I, I would say it could be financial concerns, um, health mm-hmm. problems, having issues with family or loved ones, domestic violence, um, increase of substance abuse, um, social disadvantages. So perhaps not having the ability to work from home and not having childcare if you're a single parent or don't have somebody that can help you. Um, if you already had stress pre-pandemic, having that stress be prolonged for over a year and not really knowing when things are going to let up, those other factors I think have definitely contributed to people coming forward and being far more vocal than before. Mm-hmm. Why do you think, um, especially one of the things that people have noticed is that uh, young people and children um, at very young ages, I even know in elementary school, are starting to suffer from uh, depression. Do you think that is just uh, coming off of the um, like if the, the adults that they're surrounded? Or do you think that there's something deeper going on? I do think it can be contributed to um, from the adults. And I want to be clear here that I'm not saying that the adults are the ones causing the mental health concerns, but what could be happening is that um, those parents are struggling to reconcile their own beliefs around their own mental health. And if they're not able to manage them correctly, it could result in behaviors that are trickling down to the children that are making it hard for the kids to cope or find balance. So I do think um, that they're, the reports of them having higher statistics of mental health um, illnesses and health concerns are there. But I I would say that it could also be the result of the parent not really having the um, support that they need to Mm -hmm. support themselves. And thus it makes it harder to uh, support a child through that. You know, I think one thing I've seen, unfortunately, and especially this last year is that Uh, parents who are still even struggling to admit that they are at risk for mental health concerns or mental illness, um, acting as though it doesn't exist. And so they don't see how some of those behaviors trickle down to their kids. And so when the parent refuses to get help, then what happens, you know? And so then the parent could deny that the kid's having a problem, you know? Um, It's just been a really interesting year and the way that people have responded or not 
um, I think we're going to see that impact the statistics in the years to come. Okay. That kind of leads to my next question. So do you think that this mental health crisis will continue to grow um, after COVID-19? I do think it's going to continue to grow. But again, I want to state that part of it is that some of that information was already there and just underreported. I Mm -hmm. think um, the lasting impact of the you know, pandemic is going to be at least five years. If you think about it, there's children that have missed an entire year of school where a lot of social emotional learning does take place. They've Mm -hmm. been around their families for an entire year. Um, They haven't had access to some of the school counselors. They may not have had, may not have had access to uh, a coach or a community member that might've really looked out for them. And so even with the children alone, you know, in these next few years where they have potentially lost a year of emotional support that perhaps they don't get from friends and family. I think you're going to see those numbers go up because, you know, as time goes on, we're going to get a clearer picture of what has happened and how it has impacted the kids. But honestly, until they go back to school for some of the assessments or we start to see families come forward with that information in the years to come, once it catches up to them, either through their behavior, um, changes in academic standing, excuse me, where it's kind of obvious, like, man, where did this start? Oh, it started, you know, back in uh, 2020, you know, 2019, you know, (laughs) I think until Mm -hmm. they, until we get that information, it's going to be hard to put a finger on it. But I would say at least for the next five years, right? Because when you remove an entire year of um, that type of development from children, it's going to have a lasting impact and not just for them, for adults too, I will say the the benefit of being an adult, like we have access to the internet or for those of us that do, there are a lot of resources out there that have made it a lot easier to seek help at this time. But it's not to say that everybody who has experienced um, mental health concerns in this last year has come to grips with it or has sought that help. And so I would imagine as life pivots again in this next six to nine months that we'll see more cases come forward and more people perhaps being more willing to discuss what they're feeling. Yes. And then one of the things that is always brought up is that it's always um, ironic that we are so connected, but um, we are seeing like the, the most um, disconnection oh, absolutely. Um, that we, we've had. And I guess um, now uh, that, uh, well, not everyone, but a, I don't know what the percentage is, but a good amount of people are doing the work from home. And so that means, you know, we're going to have less and less um, uh, human uh, connection. So do you think um, that uh, uh, the technology and um, with the pandemic and everything is just going to like we're creating like essentially a time bomb? (laughs) Yeah, Um, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, I don't think it's a time bomb, Mm -hmm. but I do think um, it may require social media to change a little bit. And what do I mean by that? So I want to say it was a few weeks back. or maybe it was early March, Um, Instagram, something happened over at Instagram. And I think they were testing out some um, uh, change to the platform where they wouldn't be disclosing the exact number of likes. Like I think for like a 24 hour time period or something like Mm -hmm. that, um, it just said like a a lead name and it was like uh, such and such and others. Like it didn't assign a number to it. And it's funny because people were outraged, like, how dare they take away the likes? 
Um, <laughs> but <laughs> like, how dare they do that? Um, which I, you know, I understand, but I do think that the long-term impact of people being able to get online and seek and get instant validation or not, um, may have a long-term impact on the way people perceive themselves and what they would do or think or act or eat or dress like or whatever (laughs) that may not be built on their own personal preferences. It could be developed by, you know, the, the land of social media. And so Mm -hmm. while I think that that, um, can be beneficial in a sense. I do think that with the pandemic and the way people have been looking to each other to see what people are still doing and seeing that some of their friends came out of the pandemic with a brand new business, a brand new life, transformed body, brand new car, and all of this (laughs) stuff that's been thrown up on social media. And then to have to reconcile why they do or don't have those things, I think can be detrimental. So, um, my hope is that, uh, tech companies will take a look at that and to consider long-term is, you know, if some of these filters or some of these features make the most sense for the society as a whole right now, because, you know, it's not just the United States that's going through this um, mental health crisis, it's global. Mm -hmm. And so at a certain point, I would like to see that some of the companies that have the ability to impact or influence change in that area, particularly as it relates to how people see themselves, that they take a look at that data as it comes out in the following years. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've heard uh, before, like, uh, uh, I forget what it, it technically is called, but the, the likes and everything like that, it, um, people, um, uh, what's that, uh, it's a natural occurring, um, uh, like, endorphin in your mind, I forget it, what, what it is, yeah. uh, what it's called <laughs> um, at this moment, but yeah, that, like, it, it, it like, um, makes you feel like it's like a, almost like a runner's high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that that's fine, but I think at the same time, it's one thing if you get that runner's high because you actually worked out, trained for a race, finished the finish line, and you physically accomplished something, but it's different if it's artificial. Mm-hmm. And with social media, I do think it creates that, it's an artificial um, benefit that's not really based on a life experience other than you put up a picture and people that are on your feet liked it. Uh, there's no life experiences that could have been developed, I would say. And it's not to say you didn't do a photo shoot and raise the money for the photo shoot. And that's why you've got good pictures. You've got a great message. Like all of that stuff is still valid. Uh, but your brain doesn't know the difference. And so I would say at least with a runner's high, it's anchored in an actual um, experience where you worked towards something versus social media, you just getting the benefit of it and it not being anchored in something that you might have worked for over time. Yes. One of the things that people always say, like um, when you're having, uh, when anybody's having like you're depressed or down, um, I think a common saying is everybody's always says to you, stay positive. (laughs) And so um, even if it could be something that, you know, that you probably should be like really grieving over. um, Do you say, do you think that staying positive is the answer to staying mentally fit? No, I will say it's one answer, you know, but honestly, it's not the only one. Uh, For me, I think it's allowing yourself to experiencing those contrasting experiences, right? 
taking the data that you gain from them, and then allowing those things to work towards your overall balance, not only isolating the good stuff and saying, I have the good stuff, so that's the only reason to be happy. Um, I actually read this article on Very Well Mind uh, sometime in February where they kind of outlined the harsh truth around toxic positivity. And um, I thought that the content of that article was just extremely well written, you know, because it talks about forcing yourself to be happy all the time and how that's actually harmful because um, instead of being able to share, you know, an authentic emotion um, or gain support from other people, you end up putting yourself in this position where nobody knows that there's a problem. And so even if you feel a certain way, you're preventing yourself from getting validation from that very real experience. And so there's that. Uh, the other thing that it does is that it can cause guilt. And so it kind of sends this message to you that if you don't feel positive, even in the face of, of tragedy, that somehow you're doing something wrong. You know, you do need to be able to experience those contrasting emotions. And then lastly, you know, I don't know if, you know, people who've experienced this, but I will say sometimes when um, I was going through this phase of like positive vibes all the time, like high <laughs> vibes only, you know, when people were telling me real honest stories about themselves and really needing that help and that support. If I'm standing here being like, just be happy, just keep swimming, you know, not only am I preventing myself to have that human connection with them, but I'm not even allowing them to feel validated and emotionally supported in that moment. And so it's funny, you know, sometimes these things we put on ourselves, like I have to be positive. It does end up impacting the people around you who may see you as this positive light, right? And not knowing that you're just positive all the time and they come to you and they're really genuinely looking for support. And then because you've blocked yourself off to perhaps um, feeling different emotions or allowing yourself to be changed by other people's stories or motivated by them, that you're not showing up as authentically in that moment as you could. And so I, um, I, I like that people can <laughs> use positivity to be mentally fit, but I think that there's um, a way to do it, which also includes being authentic. And so even if you're not positive, that's fine too. And just allowing yourself to go with the flow and go with the ebb and the flow of what you're feeling in that moment and allow it to transform you. Yes. Yeah. I always, um, uh, you know, I always have mixed feelings about um, positivity, but I don't want to be, I don't know if you know, remember or know the cartoon Daria. You don't have to be a Daria. Yeah, but... I remember Daria. <laughs> a Daria, but um, yeah, sometimes in life you, you do have to, dis, uh, you have to uh, grieve. The other thing I wanted to um, talk about, and this is something that you had mentioned in your book, and this is another um, solution that a lot of people always um, lean on. You mentioned that um, that you had used exercise that at first that was helping you mentally, but then when uh, you know another issue came up that you found out it wasn't what you needed. Um, I guess how how are all these things um, that uh, we're told to focus on? How do they hurt us? Well, I do want to be clear that exercise does have a profound positive impact on depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, and there's obviously a lot of research that indicates that exercising can help you make a difference with your stress. It can help you improve your memory, um, helps you sleep better, boost your mood, all of that good stuff. And so while that is very true, I found that, yes, that's nice, but it didn't help me build better emotional strategies. Uh, so for example, like, yes, it's wonderful that, you know, you go on this big endorphin high after you've worked out, 
but that didn't help me if I was triggered with something or if I had a painful memory come up or if there was a truth about myself that I needed to understand, unpack and reframe so that I can move beyond certain be uh, behaviors or habits. Like the exercise is like, what does that have to do with it? It doesn't. Uh, and so for me, I would say, I think that there's this misconception that in order for us to kind of do better, we have to, again, look for this way to avoid negative feelings. Um, and I, I know I can't speak for other people, but for me, this at the very beginning led to a lot of uh, avoidant behaviors, which prevented me from accepting valid feedback that could have been incredibly valuable and helped me to perform better in certain professional um, environments, as well as really to address some of the things that were triggering within me when somebody would give me like critical pieces of advice. You know, you can't exercise that away. You have to change the behavior. And so being able to sit with it and talk to a counselor about it or go to therapy, whatever it's going to be for you, um, was the key to really transforming my life. The exercise was wonderful, but it didn't do what I needed it to do to help me transform as a person. Yes. And so in your book, um, Depressed to Daring, you talk about um, developing emotional agility. Um, can you explain what that is? So um, I think just, you know, it sounds super heady, right? <laughs> but it's, it's the ability to be emotionally flexible, right? So if you think about an athlete that's agile, like a gymnast or, you know, track athlete, they're quick on their feet, you know, they're light footed, they can move around easily. And so in an emotional sense, it's that when you're faced with a situation that feels bad, you can react to it with ease as opposed to being fixed or unmoving. And so if somebody comes to you and they're hyper-emotional, right? You can work with that emotion instead of being stone-faced or stone-cold to it. Um, as a professional skill set, I would say that it can help you to move through emotions, particularly if you're really angry or frustrated in a really high-stakes situation or high-pressure um, environment, to take what you need to take from that particular instance. Again, take it in as data dissect it at a later time when you're ready to dig into it, but then also be able to detach and move forward without holding that grudge or allowing it to bar you from keeping yourself at the table or keeping yourself in um, an opportunity even that, you know, if you let your emotions get the best of you, it will nix you out and it takes you out of the running. And so for me, I found that as a tool, particularly as a woman, um, that it was quite beneficial you know, cause I, I can't speak for all women, but I will say sometimes, you know, we can be really emotional. And, um, when you really get into some of the opportunities that women are trying to, you know, aspire to at this time, whether, you know, it's getting on a certain board that's been traditionally headed up by men running for office, um, being in environments that again, you know, even in finance, even where there haven't traditionally been a lot of women, you have to go into those environments and know how to manage yourself and your emotions in them. And as a tool, again, I just found it to be incredibly beneficial instead of only relying on my emotions to do my guide work for me. It was like, no, you need to be able to stand here and, and burn with the pain of being wrong here for a minute <laughs> or, or needing to um, just take this in, listen to what you're being told and then act accordingly. You know, I think it was incredibly beneficial to me and Emotional agility, again, as a skill set, I think can be really beneficial to people, you know, whether or not you're a woman, 
but I found it as um, something that really helped me a lot in business. Yeah. And, and also as a woman and just knowing women, um, we're always told to uh, lean into our in- uh, intuition and our feelings. Um, so it, it's, uh, when you were mentioning that in the book, I was like, that's kind of, it, it's definitely something that is a challenge and, and hard because it's almost like um, you have to disconnect yourself a little bit from um, uh, everything that you've been taught. And I don't want to say disconnect yourself from being a woman, but I guess uh, take the emotion out of it. Um, so I was finding that uh, part a little bit uh, difficult, but then I, um, I guess was relieved a little bit when you said, you know, uh, you can do some emotional purging. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, at least I can come back and balance it out. <laughs> um, so can you explain to our listeners about emotional purging and why it's important? So emotional purging is just like taking out the trash, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let's If you have a house and you've got a bunch of trash just building up, like eventually it has to go outside. And so similarly, if you go through a lot of experiences where perhaps you felt that you were done unfairly, you felt that something was unjust or you didn't agree, if you don't say anything or you don't let those emotions out, they end up like staying in your body. Um, Not only does that have a negative impact on your body, but it has an impact on your, um, your mental health and your mindset as well. And so the purging is the letting out of those emotions. Now, I think there's a different way. Everybody has their own way of needing to do this. But if there is a way to get the information out regularly or get the feelings, the pain out regularly, I would recommend that. I talk a little bit about it in my book too. But um, when I was going through Mm -hmm. my divorce a few years ago, um, I just had all of this built up, pent up energy in my body some nights just thinking about you know, just the ups and downs of the relationship. And I think that's normal for anybody that goes through a divorce. Like there's these ebbs and flows of needing to just release the pain so you can move forward. And I ended up getting pinatas and um, <laughs> I used them. <laughs> I'm so serious. I used them to help me get that energy out of my body and to release just that pent up anger and, and feelings sometimes Um, because if I didn't, I would be up fidgeting in the middle of the night. Um, there's only so many times you can clean your whole house at 2am. Like eventually it's just clean. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, the purging of it, you know, going to counseling, talking to friends, and then just doing other things with my entire body and showing up in those moments of just feeling, um, hard on myself or worthless or whatever it was that I could give myself a way to get that that anger and that pain and that anxiety out of me. Now, one of the things you mentioned is uh, therapy. What would you suggest are the um, top things that somebody should look for in a therapist? I know this is something that you mentioned in your book. Yeah, so I know that there's a lot of um, just cut and dry information. You need to find out, you know, where they're located. You need to find out... um, what their specialty is, you know, how much they charge, you know, I think obviously those are your must-haves on any therapy list. Or honestly, if you were looking for um, a, a professional with any type of service background, like there's some basics, right? But I do think that depending upon what it is that you're trying to unpack, you can be more strategic. And so, for example, one thing that I saw come out a lot last year, uh, particularly with 
you know, people of color was this idea that perhaps you can look for a therapist if you're trying to unpack racial trauma or microaggressions at work, you know, perhaps you find a black therapist or a therapist mm -hmm. that understands where you're coming from so that you don't feel the need to have to regurgitate your entire traumatic history to somebody every time you walk into an office. Um, it takes you off the hook of having to do that and relive that as you're telling the person. But then when it comes to getting real and honest feedback and even validation, you're speaking to somebody that understands. And so, um, again, depending upon what it is that you're using the therapy or the counseling sessions for, I would encourage you to see what type of background that person has. And realistically, if they are positioned to, to uniquely help you. Um, for example, if you're going to a therapist and um, you, you know, are unpacking some trauma, some, you know, physical trauma that might have happened to you as a child, perhaps you go to somebody else who either specializes in that um, or, you know, may have an environment or background that is more in alignment to what your beliefs or cultural beliefs might be around a certain topic. Um I just think that there's a way to be strategic just because you get on the internet and you Google therapist and then the top five Google return results come up. That doesn't mean that's your person. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I would encourage you, like if you were going on a first date with somebody, do a little bit of research, Google, see what comes up, check the reviews. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, no, I, you I, want to make sure they're not a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I hate to make such a, a loose comparison, but you know, I've seen people do more research on somebody they met on um, on Tinder. It's like if you're going to entrust this person to help you work through, you know, some really difficult memories and experiences in your life, you want to make sure that you're getting the best fit. And so irrespective of where they come up in those search results, it would behoove you to check out that information and make sure um, you're not wasting your time and theirs by finding somebody who's more likely to... Um, help you from a place of love and compassion and understanding when you walk through those doors. Yes. Um, yeah, you definitely, one of the things um, I've heard is that, uh, you know, you want to be open-minded, but you don't want to be um, so open-minded that you let uh, somebody let your brain fall out. <laughs> when you're looking for this and your brain, you know, uh, is uh, the one thing that you always have with you. Um, you know, people are so, um, stuck on uh, material things and uh, you know their their careers and things like that but the the most important thing is is your mind and um, you definitely want to make sure that you are uh, uh, giving it the best care possible um, oh. and uh, so then I wanted to uh, lead then to uh, your wonderful um, organization and company that you founded um, Surrender Circle um, I wanted to hear a little bit uh, about uh, how you decided to start that and uh, the goals of your organization and then for um, uh, people who are looking to join who can join. Yeah, so I, I get this question kind of a lot. So uh, mm -hmm. again, I think, you know, the mission of our company really is to help women improve their mental health and wellness outcomes. Um, right now we're just focused on women because honestly, just based on my life experiences, my access to resources, uh, that's who I feel uniquely positioned to help right now. That doesn't mean that that won't expand into men or to mm -hmm. different people in the future. That's just where we are. Um, but our new product, which is mywingwomen.com, 
um, has actually just mm-hmm. launched its beta version. So if you check us out online, you will see what it's all about. And um, simply put, it is a community of professional women who are all interested in wellness and mental health and improving those things. Um, I've talked a little bit about it in other interviews, but I've had a very varied background. I actually started as a weather woman. And after mm-hmm. doing weather, I transitioned into doing marketing and public speaking. I've obviously written a book. I run for office. I've given several TED Talks. And so in all of these environments, um, while you would think that they'd be incredibly different, just given the the industry types, they weren't, particularly for um, other women that I ran into and how that stress really impacted each of us. And so for me, I thought, you know, I wanted to create this safe space where professional women who were, you know, either coming into power or in this, I'm going to break the glass ceiling in my industry type mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mindset, had a place where they can come to and get peer support from one another. Um, it is a peer-to-peer social wellness platform. So it's totally fine and safe to talk about things that are on your mind that could be causing anxiety, you know, things that could be impacting your reputation or your career. So for example, if you're going through financial hardship and it's impacting your career in some negative way, or it's impacting your net, your, your mental health in a negative way, this Mm -hmm. would be the platform to talk about it. You know, our forums allow each of the members to, you know, put content on there or to ask questions anonymously, which I think is fantastic because sometimes you just want help and you don't want people to know, and then Mm -hmm. you know, to have that follow you around in your career. And so It was just incredibly important to me to make sure that for women who didn't have a support system around them or who came from families, you know, where mental health is still very highly stigmatized or just honestly don't want to tell people their business where they could get that support and that help. So um, I would encourage women to check out that platform. Um, It's free for now, but it's not to say that before the end of the year that we won't start membership um, tiers for, for different members for the community. But again, it's it's there for you as a resource to get feedback, to purge if you need to, and mm-hmm. to find that community of people that are really going to get it, even if you don't have others around you that do. That's wonderful. So it's uh, so my winged women. So it's like uh, having like a wingman, but a wing woman. Absolutely. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So what would you say, as I was looking online, one of the things, um, this this is just me, but I I like um, uh, beautiful things. I guess everybody likes beautiful things, but I like things that are um, uh, quirky, have patterns. And so I found the design of your site very refreshing um, and uh, it made me, it drew me in. Um, so then it made me want to hear more about what you define um, self-care because like I started feeling like I wanted to go to the spa, but I was like, I believe you probably are taking it uh, to the next level. To a, yeah. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on self-care every day, uh, .co for those who are just listening, um, is our online bookstore and it does take self-care to the next level in that this past year, particularly like at the beginning of the pandemic, people are like, you know, self-care can be anything. Go do yoga, go drink <laughs> tea. Yes, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> um, it can be anything, but should it be? Probably not. So for example, if you were going to try to lose weight or build muscle, I mean, you can go to the gym and just start getting on machines, but it might be more beneficial if you had a guide or a coach, right? Mm-hmm. So 
The bookstore, you know, at the very top there in the navigation panel should be the access to our uh, self-care quiz. And so it's a behavioral assessment that will tell you what area of self-care you should be focused on. And from there, you can use that result to search the site. The site is set up. So if you're looking to improve your physical self-care routine or to get ideas, you can go directly to the physical self-care <laughs> portion of the website and the books are already there for you. So you're not trying to figure out, hmm, would be what's going to the spa fix this or uh, is tea the right thing for me? It's a matter <laughs> of really being strategic about it. And so when I vetted the titles for the book, I mean, there's constantly new titles added to the site. Um, it really was the with the mindset of helping women to get more specialized information because tea and yoga doesn't work for everybody. And mm -hmm. again, I wanted to find a solution that people could see themselves reflected in. Cause if all they heard about on social media was doing yoga and drinking tea, like if that wasn't their thing, I didn't want it to feel like it was something that wasn't for them. I very much wanted it to be very inclusive. So that's the way that the, the site was developed. That was the, um, the thought process behind it. It was very intentional and yes, it is, um, designed to be very pretty and attractive and appealing because I wanted women to feel like it was just like any other site. So whether you're there for mental health purposes or there just to kind of get yourself back in order and to start feeling more balanced, I wanted you to feel like you could come there and shop with ease and with dignity, dignity, excuse me, and that you were no different for it. Yes. And I will speak, um, because I took the, the quiz and, you know, I'm, um, uh, I've taken all those like uh, personality analysis things before. Um, so I was like, okay, let me, uh, I was testing your quiz. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Cause I was like, let's see, you know, how accurate this quiz is. Cause I already know like, you know, things that I have issues with, you know, yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've been with myself for, um, you know, uh, let's see over three decades now. <laughs> so yeah. I really know myself. Um, and, uh, so the, the quiz, I took the quiz and it was very, very, like it was spot on. I was like, yeah, that is an issue that I've struggled with <laughs> over and over. So, uh, for everybody out there, I really, really highly suggest you take the quiz, um, before just jumping in and, and picking out the, the books. Um, if you're really, um, uh, want to, uh, help yourself, uh, I definitely found it, um, very helpful and it was spot on. Yeah. Well, so, I'm, I'm glad you got it. You know, I think, mm -hmm. uh, it's funny because I think when we first started circulating it a little earlier last year, people were trying to trick the quiz. I'm like, you know, I built that so you can't get around the real answer. <laughs> so um, it's really cool when people come back and they're like, yeah, actually, this is, you know, this is true. And so um, one thing about the quiz I will say is, you know, at certain times in your life, you need to work on, you know, you need to prioritize different areas of your health over others. And so even if you take it, you know, in this month, feel free to go back, you know, six months from now, take it again and see if your stressors have changed and thus your, your social and self-care um, routines need to change as well. You know what I mean? So it could just be something to, to keep in mind if you ever feel like you need some guidance around what you should be doing or what's more than most likely going to help you um, th to thrive. Yes. And then um, one of the other things that I thought uh, when I was looking at this, I was like, uh, how did you come up with the idea of um, just uh, to start a, a bookstore? Because most people say it would say if you have, you know, if you're having mental um, uh, issues, either go see a therapist, you know, talk to family, friends, take a vacation. Um, 
I guess, why did you come up with the idea of a, a bookstore? Because, and this is just a me thing, um, mm-hmm. in my period of time of being therapy curious or counseling curious, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was like, I'm just going to fix this myself. And so then when I would go on Amazon, if you put in self-care, like, yeah, maybe a couple of titles come up, but it gives you this impression that there's not more. You have to be really dedicated to finding out what are all the self-care titles and what are all of the options, you know, and you can be on there for, you know, 12, 13 pages deep trying to find something that resonates with you. And because that was a pain point for me, I'm like, you know what, we're just going to put them all in one area, one website. You don't have to come here and poke around. So even if you get a book that isn't, you know, specific to the area of self-care you're working on, these are all titles that have to do with helping you to improve your overall wellness and health. And so honestly, it it arose of my, you know, kind of need initially to kind of hide. I'm like, do I really want to go to counseling? I'll just get a book. (laughs) Like, "Mm, no, I'm just going to get a book, you know? And so from there, um, getting to this place of like, well, if I'm not about to be going through 13 pages of Amazon results, I would imagine (laughs) other people would probably bail on this too. And so again, with my mission to help women to improve their mental health and wellness outcomes, I'm like, how can I make this easier to where they feel like if they feel icky, even looking up, you know, self-care stuff, like make it easy, Mm -hmm. make it pretty, make it fun, make it, Ooh, I like this. I can get used to this website, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's uh, where it came from because I'm like, I know if I'm, you know, pretty motivated individual and I'm willing to sit around for 12, 13 pages, that doesn't mean everybody else is. And if I really want to, I really want to help people help themselves, then I'm like, what is it going to, take of me to figure out a, a better way to do this. And so, um, yeah, it, it kind of came out of my, my desire to hide that I needed help. And because it was difficult to find all of this stuff in one place. Yes. No, I love it. It's genius. And I was like, it's a, uh, you know, it, it makes something that is so complex, right? Because you, you know, there's so many things that are causing people depression, anxiety, and, and then obviously there's a, you know, negative stigma to mental health it just, it simplified it and it made it, it made it fun. <laughs> made yeah, mental health like, fun. <laughs> I'm about to make mental health sexy. Y'all just ain't got no idea yet. You know what yes. I mean? Like, yes, no, it was, it was, I was like, I was like, this is, I'm like, I was like, why didn't everybody think about this? Because the, the, the truth is like, you see, I'm just taking this from, obviously I haven't been everybody's therapy sessions, but you know, the typical stereotypical thing on, um, uh, like movies and TV when people are in the therapist, right? And the therapist like looks bored out of their mind listening like to one person to the next person. They're like, you know, and, and then the therapist, uh, you know, whenever you want to see the therapist have their like internal monologue, like, you know, like it doesn't, like, I feel like the therapist is like, they just have to like help themselves or, you know, if they want to fix it, they're going to have to make this change. That's what all therapists are probably thinking in their mind, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so this puts that, uh, the power to, uh, you know, help yourself and not have to go through like uh, the clinical feeling, um, yeah. like in, in your hands. And so I think it's beautiful. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy you do. And again, mm-hmm. I think for me, it's just a matter of making fe- people feel loved, making them feel like, you know what, I can do this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I get it kind of came out of my own pain points, but I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to build it. 
And if they build it, if I build it, they will come. And Mm -hmm. it's just been a really refreshing um, life experience. And I'm just excited that more people are are able to to use it for their own mental health and self-care journey, because that really was the goal. Like, I don't know who else in your family is going to help you, but I will. So that's where it came Mm -hmm. from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's perfect. What would you say is the best piece of advice you can give to people um, that are suffering because of the pandemic? Well, I have three pieces of advice, honestly. Um, the first is to really take advantage of the time that you have right now, especially if you are working from home. Um, pre-pandemic, I would say it's it was probably a little harder to get away for an afternoon and go uh, record or not record, go and um, see a therapist or go to a counseling session or whatever it was. But if you're working from home, there are a, a number of apps that you can just download straight on your phone for a telehealth situ- or telehealth um, consultation or session or whatever it is. Um, even just looking at my phone, I just recently downloaded a new app that I heard about recently. Let me just go over. It's called Sesh, which is really cool. I would check it out if I were you guys. There's also BetterHelp. Um, there's Talkspace, there's Headspace, there's Calm, like there's a lot of apps that are out there. And so if you have time and, you know, 15, 20 minutes during the day when you can be away from your kids or family, or whoever else is in the house with you, um, it's an easy time to connect. So that's number, um, that's a piece of advice. Number one, number two, build a community. You know, I do realize it's not easy or sometimes always in your best interest to divulge all of your concerns to friends and family, you know, especially since some of these people can only guide you from their level of understanding and knowledge when it comes to mental health, that is. Uh, But that doesn't mean that there aren't other people out there that have a shared life experience that will get it. And I would encourage you to seek out those support systems. You know, I think you can obviously go through a lot of social media networks and platforms. You can do hashtag searches. You can get on Facebook groups. Um, I will say, you know, with Facebook groups, if you're going to use it, make sure you're careful about the types of identifying health information that you're putting on the platform because that can circulate. Um, But there are ways to build a community. So that's thing number two. And then lastly, um, and this is a really unique piece of advice, is to to save uh, short codes in your phone. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with or if you've ever used, uh, you know, a text crisis line. But if you know that you are susceptible to feeling depressed or um, just feeling like you don't have other people to talk to. There are 24-7 text services that you just send a short code. So for example, with crisis text line, you can text home to 741-741 and you get a, a counselor that will text with you and just talk. And if sometimes if you just need to vent or purge or whatever, there's somebody there that's on the phone. And so I would encourage you, if you know that you're susceptible to those types of bouts of depression, or um, if you experience bouts of mania, or if you are just really in a low spot and don't feel like there's somebody there, when you are feeling you know, in a, in a better spot or a good mood, I would take the time, see what short codes are available to you in your region, save them in your phone. So that way, when something happens or you find yourself out of control, you've got a fast and easy way to reconcile it. Um, You know, I didn't know much about short codes a couple of years ago, but in this past year, I've had a lot of friends become, you know, crisis counselors at some of these centers, and they've told me about their experiences in terms of going on to volunteer and what made them want to do it. And so 
just knowing that these things exist and that they're there for all of us, I would say it's definitely a free way to get some level of support if you just don't have any other options. Fantastic to give that advice and um, having it right at, uh, in your phone um, is always uh, perfect. Um, so what do you think uh, happiness is? <laughs> well, <laughs> honestly, at this stage in my life, I think it's about being self accepting of self. Um, I remember in my 20s, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be happy when I've got a castle <laughs> and a million dollars. <laughs> wow, you, you have you a master. When, when I've got my new Mercedes, you know, um, when I've got the perfect body and then you get older and um, those aren't the things that keep you up at night. You know, the things that keep you up at night are your relationships with others. It's how you feel about yourself. It's how you feel about your body. It's, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, like how much money do you have in the account? Um, but a lot of that, I think, stems from your your perspective of yourself. And so for me at this stage, being self-accepted means I'm in a position most times to take myself off the hook when I start feeling like I don't measure up or I'll never get it right or nobody's listening or nobody cares or I can't believe this is as far as I've come, even though I've been working this hard. And so being in that place of acceptance and being in that loving, compassionate space for myself first and foremost allows me to be uniquely positioned um, when something comes up that could be triggering, right? And so the happiness is my ability to see myself as imperfect, but perfectly. Um, and with that, that clear vision that I can do all things and I can continue to work hard and I will continue to make progress. And to know that even when things get out of balance, sometimes I love myself and respect myself enough that I can bring it back to that centered place and I can act from that place again. And so um, my, my defini definition of happiness has certainly changed, um, but self-acceptance is the one that works for me. Beautiful answer. Uh, well, um, I think uh, it has been a, a wonderful time. Um, and I have learned so much and you have helped me. I know like, uh, you didn't know, but you have helped me so much. Uh, let me just tell you, I was, I was suffering because I became a mom during this time for the first oh time. Oh my gosh. I'm, so, <laughs> well, I'm like, I don't want to say I'm so sorry, but I would say that it's, it's a unique experience that only you and however many women that had babies last year are going to ever understand. Yes, the, it, the was, it was. Uh, that come with that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, you know, of course, you're very excited to you know have your first child, um, but uh, you know the circumstances obviously were uh, drastically different than what you were planning for. Um, so it was also terrifying because you had to just. Ha it was you and one other person in the delivery room. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing, and unfortunately, I had a nurse that was just like almost just straight out of school. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So unfortunately, we ended in a C-section because both of us didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> but but I made it. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to ha uh, to help you. And, um, you know, I think the main thing with, with anybody that's going to hear this is, you know, take care of yourself. You're the only person that is going to advocate for yourself. Um more than anybody else in this world. And so you have to show up for your for yourself in those times. And if it's putting those safeguards in place, if it's having self-care, you know, if it's 
knowing that you're going to have a life experience and trying to figure out what it meant or, or what you felt in the moment and allowing that not to always be so positive and happy, you know, you have to do that, you know? Yes. Um, well, thank you so much um, for your um, time. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and thank you for your insight. And so I know you have a number of different um, different sites. So I'm going to uh, going to uh, turn that over to you. I know that everybody um, that that's a listener, they can go to surrendercircle.com um, and they can become a member of Surrender Circle. If they would like to get self care resources, they can go to um, selfcareeveryday.co and look up some great uh, books. And then now they can find a wing woman <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and my wing woman .com. Are there other resources that we should know about? Oh, those are the three for now. Um, my wing women is mm -hmm. just in its MVP stage. And so like most other tech companies, you know, you're going to see it evolve over time. What I think is really unique about the platform, in addition to, like I stated, having the ability to post anonymously and have, you know, still have the support of other professional women is that um, we are going to be implementing our own text um, integration into the platform. So even if you don't remember those short codes and you are having a moment when you're on my platform, I want you to be able to get help and get it really easily and do it in a way that's compassionate with you and for you. And so um, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. And I would encourage anybody who's even remotely curious about what we're up to, uh, to check it out. It's my wing women with an E so plural.com and, uh, stay with us as we grow, you know, and if you've got feedback that could be really beneficial to people who might need this type of platform or service, feel free to email it through our website. I'm just excited to help others be well. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or simply want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.work to start your project of change today. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we are focused on what matters. <laughs>